All right, all right. Hello, and welcome to Renegade Files. All the weirdness fit to print. And your home for paranormal events, unsolved mysteries, conspiracy analysis, and cultural observation. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, coming to you from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. You've landed on Renegade Files episode 54, Occult Magic in Modern Science. From our modern perspective, we like to imagine that because technology builds upon previous knowledge to achieve its gains, that we're at the pinnacle of science and understanding. While it's possible that this is true, it's also possible that ancient knowledge surpassed some of what we know now, especially in certain instances, because natural connections and the cyclical nature of the cosmos were so much more a part of everyday life then. In our pursuit of science and knowledge, we have dismissed so many old ideas about spirituality and mysticism that in some cases we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Science is quick to tell us that, in the old days, religion and folklore were used to both explain the world and control the masses. Is it possible that when science replaced religion as a way to explain the world, it also became the new way to control the masses? If that's the case, then we can finally begin to understand why, time and time again, the old symbolism and myths of occult magic and ritual reappear in our modern scientific institutions and endeavors. So don the ceremonial cloak of mysticism and dust off your telescope. Join me as we travel from alchemy to outer space and cross the tumbled stone bridges that make up the surprising connections of occult magic in modern science. Occult magic in modern science. Part 1. Old School Magical Science It's often said that if we trace science back far enough, we arrive at magic. Today, the term magic is used to make science look better. As in, this is applied science and technology, not magic. In the sacred cubicles of science, magic is treated as a fun but wholly separate folly. The last of Arthur C. Clarke's laws tells us that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But there was a time when the ideas of true scientific exploration existed in parallel with the traditions of high and practical magic, and both came to be increasingly vilified by the Church of the Day. John Dee was born in July of 1527 and died in 1608 or maybe 1609. John Dee was an English alchemist, astrologer, mathematician, navigational pioneer, and occultist. He was a court astronomer for and advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. He amassed one of the largest libraries in England at the time, and it was his idea for England to establish colonies around the world, and he even coined the term British Empire. The life of John Dee is a twisted tale that includes scrying, speaking to angels, channeling a magical language, and a tragic end. 
He was one of the first alchemists to make a name for himself and his influence on what would become modern science is undeniable. Historians Charlotte Fell Smith and Dame Frances Yates have both included John Dee in their conclusions that emphasize the parallel roles of magic, science, and religion in the formation of the Elizabethan Renaissance. John Dee's work drew no distinctions between magic and science. He gave a lecture on Euclidean geometry at the University of Paris when he was in his early 20s. He trained British Navy captains in the art and skills of navigation and helped them to sail around the world. At the same time, he practiced sorcery, astrology, and hermetic philosophy. He dedicated half of his life to scrying into crystals in order to communicate with angels because he wanted to discover the universal language of creation and by doing so, heal the divisions existing between the various versions of monotheistic religion. Everything he did was part of his mission to find a transcendent understanding of the divine forms which he believed created the visible world. Modern quantum physics would tell us that he was right. So the origins of science as a whole come directly from the old alchemists, and they were fully occultists and magicians, and that's that. Moving ahead a bit, we have the Rosicrucians, who moved to America to resist the caste systems of European monarchies and practice their versions of practical magic to better mankind, and along the way, lay the foundations of what they called the Great Work, which could be said to be a sort of combo meal of, one, outwardly bettering humanity by teaching them to be self-reliant, deliberate creators of their own experience, and two, creating a controlled new world order by keeping exactly how to do that a secret within the elites, aka the Illuminati. In a book called The Light of Egypt, The Strange Story of the Rosicrucians by Sri Ramatherio, a pseudonym of H. Spencer Lewis, we read, quote, it was in 1693 that the leaders and eminent Rosicrucian workers of Europe gathered together and selected from their volunteers those proficient in the arts, sciences, trades, and professions to go to America and establish the great work. That was 108 years after the new cycle had started in France. In their own boat and with proper ceremony they departed and reached the shores of America in the early part of 1694. In 1694, the Rosicrucian colony arrived at what is now Philadelphia, and in Fairmont Park on Mystic Lane, one can still see part of their first building. Their colony increased, their work progressed, and in a few years, they moved to a quiet valley, built many structures, and established many of the first American institutions. End quote. They built one of the country's first printing presses, and they even built a paper mill to have paper so they could print books and newspapers. They were instrumental in the intellectual and scientific foundations of early America, and they were absolutely occult magicians. Not necessarily were they practitioners of dark or negative magic, in fact, they did much good, but they were deep occult magicians nonetheless. We also have Pascal Beverly Randolph, the OG of sex magic, he moved into America as well. Pascal Beverly Randolph was an American medical doctor who lived from 1825 to 1875. He was an occultist, a spiritualist, a trance medium, and a writer. 
He is notable as perhaps the first person to introduce the principles of erotic alchemy to North America. He wrote more than 50 works on magic and medicine. He opposed slavery and supported birth control at a time when it was against the law to even discuss the matter. He also was what was called a pre-Adamite, so he believed that humans had existed on earth since before the biblical accounts of Adam being created by God. He lived to see slavery abolished, and after emancipation, he taught literacy to freed slaves in New Orleans. The point of these stories is to give us some background on esoteric knowledge and to establish the fact that some of America's earliest and most influential individuals and organizations were pagan occultists and deep believers in the powers of magic. It's also important to understand that occultism does not reject scientific progress or technology. The earliest occultists in America believed that one goal was to resolve the conflicts between science and religion by remembering and incorporating into science the ancient wisdoms found in magic. Part 2. The Occult Origins of NASA Jack Parsons was born as Marvel Whiteside Parsons. And why would you change your name from Marvel to Jack? But he was born on 2 October 1914 in Los Angeles, California, and he died in Pasadena on 17 June 1952 at just 37 years of age. He came from a wealthy family, but they fell on hard times during the Great Depression, and this caused Parsons to drop out of both junior college and Stanford. He was fascinated by science fiction as a boy, and he turned his love of sci-fi into a career of rocket engineering. Along the way, he became interested in, and later fully involved with, the occult, ritual magic, and the teachings of Aleister Crowley. But in Jack Parsons' early days, the majority of scientists looked upon the field of rocketry as nonsense, and so Parsons and his colleagues eventually rebranded their technology as jet propulsion. He was essentially a very smart person who liked rockets and fantasy, and he parlayed his combination of intellect and enthusiasm into a position working with Caltech, even though he had never graduated high school. While working through a university research grant, Despite Parsons not being a student at Caltech, he and his rocket-blasting friends became known as the Suicide Squad due to the dangerous nature of emerging rocket technology at the time. In fact, Marcus Parks from The Last Podcast on the Left said, regarding Parsons, quote, His scientific work was so recklessly dangerous that it's a miracle he made it to the age of 38 before he actually blew himself up. I'm sure Marcus gets the age of 38 by subtracting the years of Parsons' birth and death, but since he was born in October and died in June, he was technically 37. But we get Marcus's point. Parsons was a reckless guy. But his Caltech-affiliated rocket research group, which was called the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory Rocket Research Group, eventually received additional funding from the National Academy of Sciences to develop jet-assisted takeoff for the U.S. military. Jet-assisted takeoff is a way to use rocket boosters to help overloaded planes take off. So on Halloween in 1936, Parsons and his crew went out into the desert and tried to launch a rocket. The first one exploded, but a few days later they had success, and with that, his research group, with the help from the military funding they received, 
eventually became the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. After the U.S. entered World War II, this same group also founded Aerojet to sell their jet-assisted takeoff technology to the military. While all of this was happening, Parsons met the woman who would become his first wife, Helen Northrup, and she was into some of the same occult practices that Parsons was becoming increasingly involved with, such as ceremonial magic and the ancient teachings of occult knowledge. Around 1939, Parsons joined the Agape Lodge, which was the California chapter of the Ordo Templi Orientis, or the OTO. The OTO was an occult secret society and a hermetical magical organization intended to be a revival of Adam Weishaupt's Bavarian Order of the Illuminati. Aleister Crowley was a member and he took over leadership of the group in 1923 when he merged the teachings and rituals of the OTO into his own system called Thelema and this became the basis for Crowley's version of the OTO which he based on his own Book of the Law. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law is the basic premise and the order was also heavily focused on sex magic where intentions are given power through sex as ritual magic. Crowley and the OTO is an entire episode of its own, but the issue here is that this was a deep and influential part of Jack Parsons' life. So much so that Parsons actually replaced Wilfred Talbot Smith as the leader of the Agape Lodge, and that's the California branch of the OTO, in 1942. And this was done at the direct request of Crowley. Parsons ran the lodge from his mansion on Orange Grove Boulevard. So we also know that L. Ron Hubbard the creator of Scientology was mixed up in all of this as well. Parsons and Hubbard began to conduct a secret occult ritual called the Babylon Working, a series of sex magic spells designed to conjure the Thelemic goddess of Babylon. Soon, Parsons met a girl named Marjorie Cameron, whom he believed to be the manifestation of this Babylon goddess. The idea was that the two of them would have a magical ceremonial child called the Moon Child who would rid the world of the plague of Christian oppression and banish all of the world's monotheistic religions with it. This is just sort of a more aggressive application of the ideas of John Dee. They never had the child, and whether or not they believed they accomplished anything is unknown. Parsons eventually left his wife Helen for her younger sister Sarah. Then she left Parsons for L. Ron Hubbard, but all of them stayed friends. Kind of. It came to pass that L. Ron Hubbard and Sarah actually conned Parsons out of his entire life savings. This led Parsons to fall on hard times once again, and he died at the age of 37 in a home laboratory explosion that attracted national media attention. The police ruled it an accident, but many associates suspected suicide or even murder. NASA was formed by combining Parsons Jet Propulsion Laboratory with the Naval Research Lab's Project Vanguard and the Army Ballistic Missile Agency created by Nazi Werner von Braun, which all coincided with the National Aeronautics and Space Act of 1958, which officially created NASA. Incidentally, Werner von Braun and Jack Parsons were friends since they were teenagers. When we trace all of these things back, we are led inextricably to the occult foundations of Jack Parsons, a person who was more than instrumental in the modern science of rocketry and who was an essential component of creating the organizations that would become at least one of the major building blocks of NASA. 
This takes nothing from the accomplishments of NASA. I recently was lucky enough to have a behind-the-scenes tour of NASA. I got to see inside the vehicle assembly building. I got to see a launch pad up close. And I got to meet Captain Winston Scott, a naval aviator and astronaut who's logged more than 24 days in space and over 19 hours of spacewalks. It was a thrilling day, and some of the things NASA does are incredible. That doesn't mean every activity they've ever engaged in is beyond reproach, but regardless of what they have or have not done, a huge part of their formation has roots in the dark arts of occult magic, just a fact. So that wraps up NASA's occult origins. But before we leave NASA, this is a good time to take a look at another instance of occult symbolism in modern science, which centers around Elon Musk, SpaceX, and his woefully ill-advised rebranding of the household name microblogging monopoly formerly known as Twitter. The letter X has a deep history of association with occult practices and magic. For an incredibly in-depth analysis of the ways in which the X symbol is used today, check out Dark Journalist. He's on YouTube, for now, and at darkjournalist.com, where he dives deep into the black budget, UFOs, mind control, exotic technology, and more, and the ways the X steganography is used to classify and hide these covert programs. Isaac Weishaupt, on his podcast, Occult Symbolism and Pop Culture, just did an episode posted on September 4th, 2023, called Elon Musk, X Conspiracy, Symbolism of X, Mark of the Beast, Freemasonry, Twitter, and more. Good stuff in there. I mentioned those shows for anyone who wants to dive way into the X symbolism, because we aren't going to exhaust the topic here, but it does fall into what we're talking about today, which is occult symbolism in modern science. And we get a big dose of this X symbolism in everything Elon Musk does, especially lately. We all know SpaceX. And to me, the X and the SpaceX logo reminds me of the Reebok logo. Doesn't it? A little bit. And Musk changed Twitter just recently to X, which is, as someone with a marketing degree and a background in marketing communication, I have to say, the worst idea Elon Musk has ever had and followed through on. I'm not the first person to say this, of course, but it's just so bad that I can't help it. I mean, you have the flagship microblogging platform, in fact, the platform that invented the concept, and it is dominant in that space by miles, by light years. Remember when Facebook tried to make their own Twitter? It lasted like a week. Does anyone even remember the name of that project? I don't. And that's Facebook trying to compete. They didn't even make a dent in Twitter's market share. And here's the thing. I'm all for free speech. Elon, take over Twitter, fine. Clean house. Get rid of the political censorship. Get rid of the echo chamber bots that make the mainstream narrative spin look more popular. Do all that, fine. But don't change the name of Twitter to X which is totally stupid, and then expect people to start calling tweets X's, which is even more stupid. <laughs> this is what happens when a powerful person gets surrounded by yes-men, and everyone is afraid to tell them, hey man, this is a dumb idea, right? You're throwing away brand recognition that you can't buy with all the money in the world. You turn an established monopoly into a new player in the game, which opens the door for savvy branding to grab market share from you, market share that they had no chance of even approaching if you would have just left the brand alone. Okay, so that's my rant. Sorry. Jeez. So we see the X on SpaceX, and now on Twitter. Or X. X Twitter? Hey, that works. The point is that the X is an old occult symbol. 
In the occult worlds of old, X symbolizes access into realms of the unknown. The Freemasons employ X symbolism in their rites when initiates make a cross symbol over their heart, which means they'll be punished with death if they reveal the secrets. Cross my heart and hope to die, all that. The crossed bones on the pirate flag is a symbol of death. Zechariah Sitchin and the ancient alien researchers tell us that Nibiru, also called Planet X, which is the long orbit planet that circles the sun every, I don't recall how many thousands of years, but they tell us it trails behind it a littering of asteroids and those pelt the earth and bring about cyclical cataclysms of destruction. X is used in the Kabbalah when it refers to the 10 levels of the tree of life. X is used as a symbol of error or rejection. For example, when a teacher grades a test, the wrong answers are marked with an X. We see the X in the center of Aleister Crowley's unicursal hexagram, which was the logo for his Thelema religion. In alchemy, the symbol of an X inside a circle refers to the primordial matter, also known as chaos, and the alchemist's challenge is to bring order to the chaos. The iPhone has always been named by numbers. The iPhone 6, iPhone 7, 8, until they got to the iPhone 10, which they suddenly called the iPhone X. And we could keep going, but the point is that we see the X symbolism in many instances throughout the occult and dark magic over the centuries, and it's usually used to express something hidden or generally negative. It's interesting how much it rears its head in technology, and it's interesting that Elon Musk seems to be obsessed with the symbol, and that we constantly see it used in so many technological and scientific applications. Part 3. CERN CERN, and that's C-E-R-N, is a French acronym for a name that translates into European Organization for Nuclear Research. CERN is located in Marin, a suburb of Geneva on the France-Switzerland border. CERN's main function is to provide the particle accelerators and other infrastructure needed for high-energy physics research. Consequently, numerous experiments have been constructed at CERN through international collaborations. CERN is the site of the Large Hadron Collider, LHC, the world's largest and highest energy particle collider, which has a circumference of 17 miles and uses about 200 million watts when it's up and running. So in a nutshell, they use this enormous and powerful contraption to collide atomic and smaller particles at astonishing speeds then they study the smaller particles that those particles break into. Why? For a few reasons, but mainly they are looking for the smallest particle, what they call the God particle. They keep saying they found it, but then they find something even smaller. This is part of the search for answers to reconcile quantum physics with general relativity. The very basic explanation of this scientific mystery is the fact that the universe is mostly empty space, and that the largest objects are made up of the smallest objects. The observable universe of large objects behaves in predictable and logical ways essentially explained by the theory of general relativity. But as we look at smaller and smaller parts of the universe, we find that the smallest levels, the tiniest things, do not behave according to the same rules governing the larger things, and no one can fully explain this because the big things are made up of a bunch of the small things. For example, one baseball, a relatively large thing, cannot be in two places at once, but somehow a really tiny thing like one atom can. 
The crazier part is that the way these particles behave is influenced by whether or not a person is watching them. That gets deep and we aren't going into it today. We will do a full episode on CERN in the future. But for now, CERN's search for the God Particle, the smallest thing the universe does, is parallel to John Dee's mission to discover the universal language of creation. Intellectually, these are the same goal. Another connection between CERN and the alchemists of old is this. One goal of alchemy, the transmutation of base substances into gold, is now known to be impossible by chemical means, but it is possible by physical means. Although they say it isn't financially worthwhile, gold can be synthesized in a particle accelerator. This has been known since the 1940s. In an article from Physical Review C, covering nuclear physics, entitled Energy Dependence of Bifragmentation and Relativistic Nuclear Collisions, tells us that, quote, The observed yields of gold isotopes show a similar dependence on mass number for each reaction, differing slightly in the position of the centroid of the distribution. As the projectile energy increases, the inferred excitation energy of the primary residues remains the same or decreases slightly. This observation is in agreement with the predictions of the intranuclear cascade model of relativistic heavy ion collisions. End quote. This is a technical way to say that yes, they can create gold by colliding certain particles, but you can't get more gold by crashing these things together harder, so I guess it isn't worth what it costs to do it in the first place, because the amount of electricity and manpower and whatever else costs more than the amount of molecular gold you can make, but the point is they can do it. And with regard to whether or not colliding subatomic particles at unimaginable speeds with 200 million watts of motivation could be dangerous, we read, The experiments at the Large Hadron Collider sparked fears that the particle collisions might produce doomsday phenomena involving the production of stable microscopic black holes or the creation of hypothetical particles called strangulets. Two CERN Commission safety reviews examined these concerns and concluded that the experiments at the LHC present no danger and that there is no reason for concern, a conclusion endorsed by the American Physical Society. The reports also noted that the physical conditions and collision events that exist in the LHC and similar experiments occur naturally and routinely in the universe without hazardous consequences, including ultra-high energy cosmic rays, observed to impact Earth, with energies far higher than those in any human-made collider. And that's from the Wikipedia page of CERN, so I guess we're safe. In that passage, we see a reference to the production of stable microscopic black holes. According to NASA, a black hole is an astronomical object with a gravitational pull so strong that nothing, not even light, can escape it. A black hole's surface is called the event horizon. This is the boundary where the velocity needed to escape exceeds the speed of light. So, in other words, nothing can move fast enough to escape the black hole, not even light. So all matter and radiation, including light, within its gravitational pull, fall in and can't get out. Where does the matter and light go after being sucked into a black hole? No one knows for sure but some educated guesses include obliterated back to primordial nothingness or regenerated into a parallel universe. As I understand it, 
Black holes increase in mass as light and matter fall into them, and incredible mass is the thing that makes them a black hole in the first place. How big can they get? In 2019, astronomers networked together eight ground-based radio telescopes into a single Earth-sized dish called the Event Horizon Telescope, or EHT. With this connected array, they captured the first image of a black hole. The supermassive black hole is located at the heart of the M87 galaxy, which is 55 million light-years away, luckily for us. That black hole weighs more than 6 billion of our suns. Its event horizon is far larger than our entire solar system. This doesn't sound like anything we want to make here on Earth, mainly because of the way they grow in the process of obliterating all matter and energy and light. But once again, from CERN's own website, we read, The LHC will not generate black holes in the cosmological sense. However, some theories suggest that the formation of tiny quantum black holes may be possible. The observation of such an event would be thrilling in terms of our understanding of the universe, and it would be perfectly safe. Okay, I guess it's a good thing that no scientist has ever been wrong before. So let's get into some of the fun stuff regarding occult magic in the modern science of CERN. Many researchers have pointed out that the official CERN logo contains the number 666, which is also called the number of the beast and associated with the Christian devil, or Satan. In the logo, this appears as a spiral of sixes, which CERN says represents the colliders. Do an image search for CERN logo and see what you think. We also have what has become known as the CERN ritual hoax. The CERN ritual hoax concerns a video of what appears to be a dark magic occult ritual occurring at CERN. The video, filmed from a distance of what looks to be about 20 or 30 yards away, shows several people dressed in black cloaks surrounding a statue of the Hindu deity Shiva. This statue is a permanent art object on the CERN grounds. In the ritual, the participants stab and seemingly kill a woman in what looks to be a very convincing human sacrifice. The video ends with the person filming crying out and running away. CERN later stated on its frequently asked questions page that the video was fiction and the actions violated its professional guidelines. The weirdness of that whole thing is deep. First of all, it's amazing that this even is something that happened. Fake or not, CERN had to address it on their own website, and there's even a Wikipedia page for the CERN ritual hoax that tells us all about it. Most of what you can find about it online is just the usual suspects like Huffington Post or Snopes echoing the hoax angle. But the questions this raises go well beyond the simplistic, was this real or not? First, if this is a hoax, it's in staggeringly bad taste. It's asking for trouble on an immense scale. Who risks their scientist job at CERN to make a prank video of them killing someone? And not just one crazy guy risking a career, but like seven or eight people. In a day and age where you can lose a career over a single word typed into a tweet 10 years ago, you're going to dress up like a sorcerer and pretend to sacrifice a woman to a Hindu goddess on camera at your workplace? 
seven or eight people all agreed that pretending to kill someone and filming it on CERN grounds in front of a Hindu goddess statue was a good enough idea that they actually went out and bought black cloaks and did it? And not just using your CERN campus passes to perform the ritual, but having a person go into an office overhead and film it? Publish the video on the internet? If this was a hoax, what happened with the internal investigation CERN conducted, which they say they did? Who were the people? What happened to them? Second, if it was not really a hoax, and it was a real ritual, who was the girl? Why would they do it out in the open like that? Ground central in front of such a recognizable CERN landmark, that Shiva statue. There is another possibility, and I thought of this as I was reading CERN's response to the whole thing. They make a point of saying that they're doing an investigation, but that the incident is a purely internal matter. And the way I read that was, this is none of your business. In other words, whatever comes from that investigation, they aren't going to tell us, which they haven't. That led me to the idea that it is fully possible that this fake sacrifice thing was CERN trolling the conspiracy theorists. This was done as a joke with approvals at the highest level. How else can we explain it? This wasn't just one person, but a group of people. Going through with this, capturing it on video, at the workplace, and on and on. It's likely that this was an off-the-books, look-the-other-way, unofficial, but internal troll job. A diversion to add confusion for the independent researchers looking into creepy, satanic, occult, ritual magic that keeps rearing its head in CERN ceremonies and images and informational materials. Or more effectively, to add a diversion for any curious consumer of information looking into what the theories point to. So let's look at a few more examples of occult symbolism surrounding CERN. Oops, nothing to see here. So when I made my notes for this section of things I wanted to include, I had two things on it. The pagan satanic ritual performance of the opening ceremony for CERN's LHC, and the Alice in Wonderland and occult symbolism within a CERN visitor pamphlet and internal CERN signage. Both of those were things I've looked into before, but now it seems that the opening ceremony I was thinking of was actually the ceremony for the opening of the world's longest tunnel, the Goddard Tunnel, which is in Switzerland near CERN. But I guess that ceremony, which is crazy to say the least, had nothing to do with CERN. Now I thought it did. I was sure it had been the ceremony for the opening of the Large Hadron Collider, but apparently not. I could be wrong. This could be a Mandela effect, speaking of CERN. Either way, I could have sworn that it was for CERN. Oh well. The second thing I had in my notes was concerning a video or two I saw made by people who had taken a tour at CERN and they were showing the visitor pamphlets and signage and it was all filled with images and symbols from Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland is famous for its occult symbolism and it's been linked to MKUltra. See our previous episode. And I remember the images and interpretations of the literature by the people making those videos. But now, all of that is gone. I can't find a single instance or example of what I recall about any of it. It's just not on the internet anymore. And because I don't know the exact titles or exactly the pages I was looking for, I can't find it in the archives either. 
CERN does have one experiment named the Alice experiment, but that's all I can find and it's not nearly what I remember. This was tons of videos and images of these pamphlets and CERN signage showing scenes from Alice in Wonderland, and now, gone. I've heard other people like Sam Tripoli on the Tinfoil Hat podcast and Gordo on Those Conspiracy Guys talk about the fact that they think the internet is being cleaned up, scrubbed of all the conspiracy information and old stories we all remember, and this is one of those times. I know that stuff was there, and now it isn't. If anyone can find any of those old pictures of or videos about the Alice in Wonderland imagery within CERN signage and documents, put it in a comment on one of our Instagram posts, and our Instagram profile is at Renegade Files, so check it out. Give us a follow. Cheers. One last note here, and this isn't exactly on topic, but there's a tech startup called Ritual, formed by Naraj Pant and Akalesh Podi, both former employees of the crypto-focused investment firm Polychain Capital. Kind of a big deal. Ritual's mission is to provide open access to the infrastructure that lies behind AI innovation, which at present lies in the hands of a few powerful companies. And here's a quote from a Coindesk article covering their financing. The consolidation of AI among a small group of powerful companies poses a significant threat to the future of technology, Ritual co-founder Niraj Pant said. We founded Ritual to end the ecosystem's reliance on the few, to open access to this critical infrastructure, and ensure a future of building better AI. Ritual is the decentralized network that the ecosystem needs. End quote. So like I said, not exactly a cult magic in modern science, but interesting that they would name an AI blockchain tech company Ritual. Part 4. Modern Tech as Occult Magic Rituals In this last part, let's just go over some of the cool examples of occult ritual and magic we can find in the worlds of modern science and high tech. Get your scuba tank on, this goes deep. First up is a rabbit hole into the subject, and some of this information comes from Jay Dyer's website, jaysanalysis.com, and you may know him from his podcast, Jay's Analysis. I'd call Jay an OG of the new school. So, in his article entitled, From Manhattan Project to AI, The Coming Synthetic Rewrite of Nature, Jay breaks down the connections of MKUltra and the Manhattan Project. We covered MKUltra in our previous episode, as I may have already mentioned, and we've touched on the Manhattan Project here and there before, but that was the covert development of the first nuclear bombs. So Jay explains how those two programs are woven together through the overlaps between biometrics and biowarfare. So basically, the experiments on human individuals in MKUltra and the experiments, if we could call it that, on large populations with the bombing of Japan, as well as testing radioactivity on American populations without their knowledge in things like the St. Louis spraying operations, are really both the same operations, just on micro and macro scales. And that idea is just an entry point into this. Jay makes the case that the Trinity, New Mexico tests of the atomic bombs were a ritual of sorts, intended to mock the Holy Trinity. To connect all of this to the main subject of the episode, here's a short paraphrased section from Jay Dyer's article. 
We have the creation and destruction of primordial matter at White Sands, New Mexico and the Trinity Site. The Trinity Site itself is located at the beginning of an ancient western road known in Old Mexico as the Jornada del Muerto, the journey of death. Fabled alchemy had at least three goals to accomplish before the complete decay of matter or the total breakdown we are witnessing today was fulfilled. These are 1. Creation and destruction of primordial matter 2. The killing of the divine king and 3. The bringing of prima materia to prima terra. The connection here to the overall stratagems of the technocratic transhumanists and the Manhattan Project can now be elucidated and for those skeptical of the connection of ritual magicians and occultists to modern science, consider the person of Jack Parsons, the father of the jet propulsion engine who was an avid follower of Crowley's OTO. We already went over him. The Ouroboros signified here is the cycle of temporal and material existence being transcended to achieve apotheosis through techne. For this great work to be achieved, much experimentation was needed, from the human psyche to the depths of subatomic particles. And that's it from Jay's article, but I'll link to it in the show notes in case you want to read the whole thing. So what he's talking about here is this idea that we find dark arts and occult magical rituals embedded in not just the symbolism and names of modern scientific projects, but as the deep goals of their very existence, what they are actually trying to do in the end. So this is fascinating because it allows us to look at some of these modern tragedies and events through the lens of the old alchemical rituals. The creation and deployment of the atom bomb is the creation and destruction of primordial matter ritual. The assassination of JFK is the killing of the divine king ritual. And the development of AI, big data, and communication tech replacing human interaction and thinking is the bringing of prima materia to prima terra ritual, or man's quest to dethrone God, to make our connections to nature and each other irrelevant. If you really want to dive deep into some serious esoteric connections, you can read Michael A. Hoffman's book, Alchemical Conspiracy and the Death of the West, which looks into the occult and magical ritual cornerstones of the JFK assassination. There's a royalty-free public domain link to the entire PDF book in the dark intel files for this episode on Patreon, which you can find through the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash renegadefiles. Try it for free for a whole week and become an RFA agent for a tiny amount each month that helps me keep making these episodes and keeps them ad-free for you and me and everyone who listens. So thanks to you if you are already an RFA agent on Patreon, and get in there if you've considered it but just haven't yet. It's free for a week now, so thanks and I'll see you in there. Cheers. The last thing this idea of dark magic ritual as modern science brings up is this concept of the divination aspects of big data and what we are all now calling the algorithm. This is the idea of big data as an oracle. No coincidence that one of the biggest tech companies in the world is named Oracle. So in the occult, 
An oracle is a person or thing considered to provide wise and insightful counsel or prophetic predictions, most notably including seeing the future, which is also called divination. Example of oracles would be runes or tarot cards, a fortune teller. When we say, I don't know, Google it, we are using Google as our oracle, our technological fortune teller, but it goes deeper than that. Google and big data and social media all collude to serve up to you the things those organizations think you want to see, know, and ultimately purchase. We trust the search results because they get so good at predicting our wants and needs. Those with access to your digital footprint and online history fall into two camps. Big, profit-driven corporations and large governmental departments. So, big tech and the NSA. These organizations seek to, at best, predict your behavior and at worst, influence control, and manipulate it. This is what Jay Dyer calls cognitive infiltration. Corporations are more interested in the individual because therein lies the purchasing power that fuels their existence. Governments are more interested in the zeitgeist, the general attitudes and ideals of a society, but they are also interested in anyone who might disrupt the official flow of information and control. So when we put all of our faith into the Oracle and all-knowing big tech company platforms to inform everything we do, we turn over our preferences to those who mine that data to do two things, to drain our wallets and to control our beliefs and thereby our behavior. So we all use technology. Let's just try to understand the motivations behind it. It isn't always dark and negative, but we can feel when it is. So much of this has roots in the dark magic of the occult. You know when you need to unplug. Leave your phone at home for one afternoon at the beach or at a coffee shop and see how you feel once you relax into it. Then when you're ready to pick it back up again, I'll be here with a new episode of Renegade Files and together we'll go deep into the crazy worlds of all that is weird, unexplained and phenomenal. All of the fun stuff. Thanks for going through it all with me here today, and I will see you next time. Until our next adventure, I'm your host, Lex Gordon. Stay wild, witchcraft child.